episode of Zeno Chat. I'm one of the hosts, Tyler, along with my co-host, Justin. How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to another episode. And it's going to be a very interesting one. Yes, indeed. Um, now, before we go into it even further, we have a returning guest, and that is Kat. Hello, everybody. All right. And we have two special guests. Uh, we have Chris and Eric from Retrograde Amnesia. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Damn it. Hello, I'm Eric. Eric. I knew we would talk over each other. We, we have very, we're, it's very difficult for us not to talk over each other when we're not looking at each other because we have these very specific like eye signals of, of we record in person so we glare at each other when we don't want the other one to talk and now we are at the behest of the, of the internet. I'm just staring at a framed photo of Chris to simulate our usual setup. <laughs> I, I'm staring. I, I'm staring at a, a framed uh, photo, or actually, I'm, I'm staring at a framed two-page spread of an advertisement for the bouncer that Eric gave me for my birthday the other day. Uh, I swear, nice. I must get so freaking awkward when you guys are like recording and you're just like looking at each other and like all the different things you guys are doing while you're recording. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Chris had. Uh, Chris has to like. At some point, we had to ban Chris from wearing a special pair of pants that made noise because they were they were too ruffly. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I can't wear track pants to record a podcast, apparently. That's that, that's a new rule. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've only recorded live once, and we were all drunk, so... Awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that was a that was a real wild episode. <laughs> I think about through episode eight or so of our podcast, I learned about, like, what what's the limit of the amount of bourbons I should have, <laughs> because I had to start editing out me stuttering and going off and talking about Dragon Ball Z, so... <laughs> The way the way I see it, it's uh, you know, you've had too many when you start talking about fake nets and and like casually. Oh, yeah, always. <laughs> we always talk about fake nets. Initializing fake net. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to thank you guys for the mini games episode because mm-hmm. I had completely forgotten that Xenosaga had mini games. Like <laughs> when someone referenced Virtual On being a mini game for the first one, I was like, "What? That that was real? That happened?" That was real, and that did happen. That was real, yeah. Yeah. I, Virtual is one of my favorite games, and I'd completely forgot. Like, I went and YouTubed it immediately after listening to that, and I was like, oh, yeah, no, that was in my reality. Sure, fine. Same, yep. though. Yep. Virtual on is amazing, and I miss it. Wow. I believe that I am the same age as both of you gentlemen. Uh, miserable mid-30s? Yes. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I just yeah. turned 38. Oh, I'll be 38 in 15, or no, 17 days, so, uh, yes. Nice. Happy you birthday. all should have lied and just said you were 15. Uh, I think Ooh. we've already talked about our age. On, on, on Also, if we were 15, that would be impressive. Yes. You played this game 20 years ago, but you're just 15 now. <laughs> yeah, when I was reborn as the contact, it, uh, it yes. made it a lot easier to process. Yes. <gasps> that works. All right. So, um, we'll kind of go into our usual business. Um, so, as far as... Uh, Zeno and Monolith Soft-related news. The big news that just happened the other day is Xenoblade Definitive Edition is releasing May 29th. Yay. Yay. Yeah. Good Yay stuff. Yay from the people who have not played it. Yes. Uh, and also, if if you are in the community and you make a lot of noise, please be cognizant of spoilers. Yeah, you need to worry about those spoilers again, even though it's... It's particularly dangerous because the uh, future... What's it called? Future Connected? Yeah, Future Connected. extra storyline that they're adding? Yeah. Yeah. So Future Connected is going to be available from the get-go. So, like, literally when you buy the game and you pop it in, you can play Future Connected. So, you know damn well that people are going to be starting with that and then taking all sorts of screenshots and posting them all over Twitter. So, yeah, if you don't want to be spoiled, um, be careful. Avoid the internet. Can I take one guess about the, 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 the plot of this game being somebody who's only played Xenoblade 2? 
somebody kills God, right? <laughs> I mean, I will neither confirm nor deny this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I really appreciate the option to play the new content right up front. I just finished playing Persona 5 Royale, where you had to play about 90 hours before you could get to the bulk of the new content. So Ooh. something like Ooh. that is, if you're just interested into the like into getting into the new stuff, that's uh, a wonderful um, addition to the game. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm very excited because I I really want to replay Xenoblade, but at the same time I. Ca- I'm afraid of the future connected spoilers, but Xenoblade had the problem for me where I was enamored with all the quantity of side quests that were available and felt compelled to do them all and just couldn't turn anything down. <laughs> and I did a lot of them, but I'm not entirely sure that made for the best experience. Yeah, there's no, it's kind of the best way to do it. Uh, Cause like when I was playing Xenoblade X, mm-hmm. uh, I went just, just for the jugular. I just wanted to do the main quest. And so I didn't do any of the side quests and I kind of screwed myself. Uh, and it wasn't the best experience because they hide. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a dinky side quest, but it's, it's got some juice in it. It's like a gusher. <laughs> Ugh. When you say gusher, like my immediate memory is them being in my lunch bag and then it getting hot and then forming one giant no. gusher. No. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh. Well, then I just unsold you on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll probably, you know, we can't escape the patterns that we develop even into adulthood. So I'll probably do the exact same thing again when I play um, the new edition. Um, did I hallucinate this in the fog of my mind, or was there also some talk of uh, restoring some content to this edition of Xenoblade? I think so, it is the new content. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The Bionis' shoulder, right? Yeah. yeah. Like there be, was some like pre-release yeah. movie area that was going to be in there this time. Yeah, it's going to be featured yeah, gonna in, be the, in the new chapter. Yeah, the future connected epilogue. So that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't wait to play that. Oh. I need a good RPG right now, so um, I'm definitely really, really, really looking forward to that. And also, like, this is just the era for remakes, man. Like, you've got Resident Evil 3 coming out real soon. The FF7 remake is coming out really soon. They just announced Nier is getting a remake, Nier Replicant. Trials of Mana. Yes. Like, that news broke this morning. Trials of Mana. Like, oh my goodness, if you're an RPG fan, you're getting fed right now. Yeah, I checked out the Trials of Mana demo this afternoon, and I'm not sure what I expected, but I, th- I think I like that where it's like you can clearly tell that this is not a, you know, this is not a fifty million dollar remake or or whatever Final Fantasy VII remake is, mm-hmm. but it is completely sufficient and it's completely charming, at least for the first couple of hours that I played it. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, like, it I w- strikes I, a really good middle ground. Yeah, I would like to see more games sort of get that treatment in the future. Does it look as kind of weird and, for lack of a better word, cheap as the Secret of Mana remake? No, no. It looks. No. It, it feels more like a HD, like early PS3 RPG. If if early PS3 RPGs existed, then this is what. They so would be. folklore. Uh. Well. Uh, hey, folklore. Eternal Sonata. Yeah, maybe closer to Eternal Sonata. Yeah. Oh, that, neat. That's a good comparison. Folklore is real good. I won't diverge though. Uh, it's inevitable it happens all the time on this podcast um, otherwise I know they announced a collector's edition for the Xenoblade uh, definitive edition the American version comes with a 250 page art book 
Yeah, and then you saw what like Europe got. They yeah. they're getting a vinyl. They're getting, vinyl. They're getting a steel book. They're getting a poster. Like, oh my goodness, they're getting all this crazy stuff. Japan is just getting a soundtrack CD and the art book. Okay. But like, I'm kind of dis- North America really got screwed this one. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed they didn't like offer a, like just some type of soundtrack tr- for us because it's like that's that's one of the best parts of Xenoblade. It's music. Yeah. They should have just given us USBs, like they did with Xenoblade Cross. Oh, yeah, the... <laughs> and then, like, they had DRM on it, too. That was so weird. <laughs> does it make was... me... Does, does it make me some sort of heathen that I pre-ordered it digitally? No, I'm, I'm going for digital with it myself, because uh, I don't want to risk it. Both, uh, both me and my husband are a high-risk group uh, for COVID, so we're staying in our house, no matter fucking what. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't blame you a bit. I, I, my reason is a little bit less serious. It's just that, like, I have kids and I don't want to have to take Smash Brothers out because then as soon as I start oh, playing no. something else, they're like, "Hey, put Smash Brothers in." I'm like, "Oh man, I gotta switch." Somebody the could game also card. eat Smash Brothers. Yeah, uh, yeah, but don't lick the don't lick the cartridge. <laughs> I don't. I don't. But you know, like regarding the lack of like a a proper special edition, do you think that Nintendo of America has? not as much faith in its consumer base, or do you think they're held on a leash by Japan who thinks the American consumer base will not shell out and buy special editions like that? I think the, that they don't, I think that they don't believe in the American, uh, eye for JRPGs. Cause, uh, it wasn't even, um, on the docket for a really long time. So, uh, even though it blew up, uh, they're still being a little bit, more reserved than honestly i think they should be but you know what's really weird about this particular case is that europe is the one who gets like the big special edition like not even japan is getting some of that oh, stuff really yeah that's only europe that's getting the steelbook the poster oh, the vinyl, the vinyl. japan okay. is just getting a soundtrack cd and the artwork that we're getting maybe this is like reparations for not getting xenogears originally I know, right? They're just overcompensating for the 90s. Yeah, Yeah, or most of Xenosaga, because I think uh, EU only got two. They only got two. Just two. Uh, Okay. That's very interesting. Yeah, it makes zero sense. I don't know who decided that or who thought that'd be a good idea, but yeah. (laughs) Well, well, uh, the the Switch is um, region-free, isn't it? Yes. So, it sure is. So we could, if you wanted to, Xenofam, I guess you could pre-order the, the European version and import it. You could, but like it sold out very quickly oh, no. at various retailers. Of course. But I do believe, like, I think Amazon Germany had it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can get it at, at some of those places. But yeah, it's been selling out because I'm sure a lot of people in Europe are getting it. And then, of course, the American collectors are... Also trying to get in on that too. Right. There's also the downside of if you buy a PAL game, it's going to have the PEGI rating instead of the ESRB rating, and the incongruity could drive someone insane. <laughs> a lot of collectors hate that and avoid imports for like that reason. Like I've seen that in collecting forums where people are like, oh, like I refuse to buy a Japanese game or like a PEGI game because of that. And it's weird because you'll have some PS4 games that are like stupidly expensive for like North America but aren't in Europe. Like Gravity Rush Remastered, for example. Like the North American version goes for stupid money today, but like the PAL version is a lot more common and even though it's literally the exact same thing, just like a slightly different cover art. Yeah, there's That's weird crazy. stuff like that. 
When I was at Super Potato, the most expensive game behind the case was a Genesis or a Mega Drive copy of Maximum Carnage for like 60,000 yen or something. And it's like, oh, okay, this isn't, what oh. are you guys doing? Oh my. Wow. Yeah, stuff like that happens. I think there was uh, kind of a controversy with Sonic the Hedgehog Master System because like the North American version of that is worth a ton of money, but like the European version is worth nowhere near as much. And like, they are the exact same thing. The only difference is that the North American version has like a UPC sticker on like the back. And like that one little UPC sticker, which you probably could easily fake, will make that game go for hundreds more than whatever it is in Europe. Yeah, that stuff matters. I've been collecting Dreamcast variants for a while, and I don't want to take anyone else down that rabbit hole, but there's some obsessive stuff you can really get into there. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is fascinating. <laughs> I think uh, I, I knew somebody who was faking uh, Care Bears. And they they well, learned <laughs> like making fake <laughs> making fake Care Bears, uh, and like they they researched all the the shapes and tags and like scuffs on the buttons and like the <laughs> shapes of the nose and stuff like that. It was crazy. That's the thing I would kind of love to be arrested for. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like imagine the report on that. Yeah. <laughs> Falsified Care Bears. Yeah. You just get sent to prison for that. What are you in for? I, I bootleg some Care Bears. <laughs> it's like, oh man, look out. We got a badass over here. <laughs> so uh, I guess we're done with the news. Uh, we can go into uh, retrograde, retro, retrograde garage. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So every time we have a new uh, guest on board, we uh, like to uh, ask them about their um, Zeno origin story. So, Chris, Eric, would you like to uh, delve into that? Oh, sure. Um, my origin story is, I guess, kind of boring, uh, at least to start, because I was just a big Squaresoft fan. I uh, was probably one of the first people that I knew in terms in, in real life. Well, I guess it would have been at all because there was no internet back then. But I was one of the first people that I knew that 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 played the original uh, Dragon Warrior because it was distributed through a a uh, it was a, pr- a promotional thing through Nintendo Power. I guess they made too many copies. They were trying to force JRPGs on the on the American market, and it didn't quite pan out. I guess in terms of sales, so they were sending out copies of Dragon Warrior with uh, with Nintendo Power way back when. Oh and wow. And uh, I think it was for new subscribers, and I was already a subscriber, but a, a close friend of mine had one and couldn't figure it out and, and passed it off to me. And I was like, he's like, figure this out. And, and, I, and at that point in time, I kind of like began my the, began the rabbit hole of, of getting into RPGs. So that led me to Final Fantasy and eventually to uh, Final Fantasy three when it was originally re- released as, as six and then on, on to seven. And then, of course, like the next thing to come out. Uh, at, with that logo on it was was Xenogears, and I got it, and I was at probably the perfect age to be obsessed with that game. I guess I, I started playing it when I was roughly sixteen years old, and and then that's how I I became a huge fan of 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 the game. Uh, it sort of was dormant in my mind for a very long time until we haphazardly decided decided to start a podcast about it. But here we are. Nice. Did you finish Dragon Warrior, Chris? Uh, yes, I did. I had, de- I-, I defeated that damn dragon Lord. And nice. in fact, like when I got really obsessed with final fantasy, my-, my mom still tells me this story today that I would sleepwalk around the house with my hands, like mimicking 
uh, NES controller <laughs> movements, talking about like gold and HP and stuff, like when I was eight years old. Ooh, so that's great. Uh, oh, stop it! That's adorable. So it's sort of harsh, yeah. You need to see if you pass that trade on to your kids. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, my my kid was just grinding iron nuggets in Animal Crossing before I got into bed tonight. So we'll see. <laughs> He's four. Nice. Wow. Therefore, there's two of them. Oops, I forgot one. Oops. Uh, so then, yeah, I guess the rest of my story, uh, that naturally led to Xenosaga. Uh, when, when, when that game came out, I remember skipping a class. I was in college at the time. I remember skipping a class. Uh, my, my college roommate at the time, who uh, lives near Eric today, uh, we both were playing the game at the same time, but we strategically aligned our, our schedules so that we would not see any spoilers. So like, I wouldn't go into my dorm unless I knew that he was at a point that I had already accessed. So that was weird. And, uh, and then yeah, the, the protocol for college student sex, they used instead for Xenosaga. <laughs> yeah. That's how, big nice. of, that's how cool we were. <laughs> Put a sock yeah. on the door. Yes, exactly. Put a sock on the door. Uh, I'm playing Xenosaga. Uh, guys. Playing Xenosaga again. Oh, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah. That's, I'm, uh, I, I'm glad there was a payoff for that. Like, eventually, eventually I had sex and started a Xenogears podcast. So, uh, it worked out. Nice. So, uh, anyway, the, uh, I played two Xenosaga two. I, I kind of bounced off of it just because I got obsessed with a, a Korean MMO, and then I kind of fell fell off the series for a while until we uh, in, until we start decided to do this podcast uh, this past summer. So uh, then I then I randomly decided to play Xenoblade two. Uh, I just finished it a couple of weeks ago, and I have mixed feelings about it. But uh, it's definitely a video game that I enjoyed playing. But there were also portions of that game that I wish weren't in it. Mm. And I'll leave it at that. This is not a Xenoblade two episode. I don't think that's fair. Nah. No worries. Eric. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask if that completed your Xeno story. Yeah, that, yeah, that completed it. In, 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 right. Unless you want to talk about the origin story of this podcast. No, I, I think we can skip that part. Yeah. But I'll go over a short um, origin story of myself that only has an insufferable beginning where uh, I didn't grow up playing RPGs because they were games where you selected menu commands to hit people and that did not compute with my um, brain where I could be Vector Man and just shoot people. <laughs> Um, then I went and accidentally, I went to the store to buy Burning Rangers for Saturn and they didn't have it, but yes, I love that game. They didn't have it. So I decided to get Panzer Dragoon Saga instead, uh, thinking, (laughs) thinking it was just another Panzer Dragoon game. It was not, uh, and instead it was something beautiful and good. And that's when I learned that I liked RPGs. Um, Xenogears seemed like the natural kind of path to follow after you play Final Fantasy VII, after you return Saga Frontier to the rental store of just the next thing to play. <laughs> and I played it. I loved it. That led to like exploring um, a whole bunch more PlayStation RPGs. I think Lunar and Lunar 2 were, uh, sorry, my cat is destroying something. Lunar and Lunar 2 were just wonderful for me. And then you always wanted more Xenogears, even though you kind of knew that Square, after they made a sequel to Parasite Eve, before they made one to Xenogears, it's like, all right, they're not, this isn't going to happen. And then I think in 2002 or whatever, when we learned through, I guess, magazines or whatever version of the internet I had, that they were making Zeno Saga through Namco, like that became the hope that we were all, me, Chris, uh, and two of our friends were kind of betting everything on because we were mildly obsessed with Zeno Gears. Mm-hmm. And I remember like learning that it was supposed to be a five-part series and we were around 20 then, and we did the math and thought, oh, my God, are we still going to play video games when we're 30? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that seemed like an astronomical amount of time away. 
And I remember I got this, I got whatever edition came with a shirt with Cosmos on the back of it. And then I wore that shirt to college the next day and never again because of some comments that I received. Oh. So, uh, that, that, uh, you know, just not, nothing like derisive, just, uh, not not the kind of vibe I wanted to exude there. Aww. I stole that shirt. Maybe we'll give it away on our podcast oh, one day. Who gosh. knows? It has pit stains. Authentic. <laughs> <laughs> it was worn by you, so it's worth a lot. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's got authentic sweat for me when I was uh, 19. <laughs> then um, I got Xenosaga 2 on the first day. And the funny thing about that is all of my friends that I bought Xenosaga 1 with did not want to get back on the train. Yeah, it was weird. Like, Chris, you didn't play 2, did you? I did. I, I played most of it. I, didn't, I never completed okay. it. Yeah. I think I oh, may before have... two though, uh, what's the what's the clearance level on spoilers for Xenosaga One? Can I can I do that? Um, yes, you can. Permission granted. Okay, so we played Xenosaga One in the era of AIM, <laughs> um, and I think we oh, are wow. at that point. You what? Oh yeah, me too. But oh wow, AIM. I just remember yeah. AIM. <laughs> yeah, that was a back. that was a large part of our lives. Uh, it was in the era where I left my computer on all the time, and so did Chris. And, and either Chris or his buddy Josh, we were playing it simultaneously, and I came back to my computer one day after school, and there was an A message. I remember it verbatim. It just said, he cut off his own fucking head and grew a new fucking head. <laughs> <laughs> That's which, a hell of a message to get. <laughs> yeah, which I, th- I hadn't played that sequence, so I didn't know that he was talking about Albedo <laughs> at that point, but I figured it was Xenosaga related. <laughs> Um, but I played two, and in retrospect, I remember the battle system being very slow and a very unfortunate elevator fight toward the end. But uh, the ending was good. And then Xenosaga 3, which came out like a year and a half after 2, kind of really made good on a lot of stuff. It was actually a fun game to play. I felt like it was paced better. Mm-hmm. And then there were some great Easter eggs at the end of that. And then um, I imported Xenoblade from Europe when it seemed like the Operation Rainfall stuff wasn't going to I take the same thing. before. Yeah. <laughs> And then I modded my Wii for that and played it all on a Wii Classic controller or something stupid. And then, the and then I played... Oh, sorry, go on. I played 2 uh, as it came out, put it down because I didn't want to play Tiger Tiger ever again. <laughs> I don't blame you. Like, I, I, according to your, your minigame podcast, they somehow made that better, more playable as time went on. But I never... Like, I quit it for six months and then picked it back up summer of 2018 and finished it. And it, I, I liked it. Again, like Chris said, it has some problems with scope that i would prefer it rain in but mm-hmm. i think it was a net positive overall yeah that game became a lot better for me once i started learning to ignore certain things about it like i don't need to do every side quest i don't need to do every blade story i don't need yeah, to but try what if to you did? Get, yeah, but yeah but what if i did <laughs> then that'd be you probably right like it's one of those things where if i was on a desert island i would delight in completing xenoblade 2 but when everything else is pulling my arms in different directions i kind of just wanted the core of the experience which was still like 100 hours or something yeah, I think it took me about 90 hours to just get through the main story of Blade 2. That's fair. Yeah, I've played like over 200 hours and I still haven't completed all the Blade quests. I feel like Blade 2 is one of those games where like many of the quests is better if you just save it for post-game because like I can complete many of those quests and many of the affinity charts in like no time. I guess like, I got spent enough time in Blade 2 where I just have like this optimized way of playing it that I just didn't have when I was playing the main story. Cause like when I was playing the main story, I tried to do quests and I just get, I get pissed off because I'd run into like a wall. It's like, yeah. Oh, you don't have this ability because of the gotcha thing. But then now like in post game, 
that's not even an issue for me. I can get that ability very quickly. I know how to like use a blades effectively to do that. I know how to do the Merc missions effectively. So I think it's one of those games where if you save it for later, it ends up being a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, I, I found for me that once I started ignoring things, then if I were to pick up a quest that I found interesting and I did it, I would enjoy it a lot more. Like mm-hmm. once I picked up the Wolfric blade quest, I was like, oh, you know what? I like Wolfric. He's weird. Or Wolfric or whatever his name is. He's weird. I should I should follow through on this. And I did it. And I enjoyed that. But I ended up ignoring a lot of the other stuff and then just kind of barreling towards the end of the story. Mm-hmm. And then that, that, that sort of rec- uh, that, that allowed me to reclaim my experience from one of frustration and, and, and doubt if I would ever care about another Xenoblade thing ever again into something that I, I, I enjoyed once the game kind of put a bow on itself, even though I didn't understand the ending at all. But I, I guess maybe I will once I play the first one. Yeah, it's funny that you saw that ending first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that is really interesting. But yeah, we, we all play it, kind of play the Xeno games in our own different ways. So that, I don't think your way was invalid at all. Look forward to season seven of our podcast when we talk about this in 2026. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. All right. So if that's that, then we can move on to the meat of the episode. And that is about Satan Uzuki from Xenogears. Chris and I will try to observe your house rules and pronunciation. Okay. Yeah, we actually, we, I, I, we actually made, I don't we, know. We made a pact on our podcast to like have a, have a really good a conversation about pronunciation before we like every time a term was in- introduced and we kind of like started violating that and we never had a conversation about the proper pronunciation of satan and we started pronouncing it like we did when we were teens and just said Satan. so well, uh here we are no that's that's fine like i think one of the previous episodes i i said Satan and then Cat said Satan, and I was like, oh, crap, I pronounced it wrong, so I, sw- I started switching. You know, I- I'm probably doing it wrong. I have yeah, so many but- friends who say Satan. I I've, I used to say Satan, uh, and it's probably not Satan, because Japanese has rules about double T sounds, um, but, like, I guess we can choose one. <laughs> it's also harder, because, like, we're all from different areas, so we all have, like, different accents, and that's, like, bleeding in. Oh, so, yeah, yeah there's, there's really not gonna be many house rules here, because... We all have different ways of speaking. I always just said Sitan. So that's just natural to me. It's just whatever one comes up first. So you know what? Just say whichever one comes to mind first. I'll call him Doc. Huga. There you go. Just call Perfect. him Doc, yeah. Just call him Green call Dude. Call him by his Japanese name, Shitan. Huga. Huga. All right. Does uh, anyone kind of want to go into the, the backstory of Sitan or Huga? Or... Do we want to tap my possibly very wrong lizard brain? Uh, y- yes, go go ahead. No, it's probably <laughs> okay. not. Probably Be our guest. All right, all right, okay. So, uh, Hugo Richto was born to a third-class Salarian family. I believe he had. He is either he has seven siblings or is one of seven siblings, and I think he's he's the middle child. Uh. He's a smart kid, uh, got into Jugend, uh, because he's smart. <laughs> one of the <laughs> reasons that, okay. w- one of the things that was, that is cited in the perfect works, and I don't know how accurate this is because I think the last translation that we looked at was kind of, uh, wacky machine mm-hmm. translated. It was weird, but it, it said something about there being some sort of plague in the lower levels of, yeah. of Solaris. And he was the one that 
what he was the one that was the the one survivor started it. Yeah. Oh, well, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> he was accused of starting it because he was the one to yeah. survive it. Okay. But maybe like I, I think Eric. This is this is this is one of Eric's original thoughts. But maybe he was just the one that was smart enough to wash his hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which Jeez. is sort of a relevant thing. That's to very, I was just about to say, is that yeah. like that's very satanic to do? <laughs> yeah. That, con- that original conversation we had was a couple months ago, so it had nothing to do with the current times, but it is very applicable now. <laughs> yes. So oh it, it's just saying that if you if you remember to wash your hands in these times, you may be accepted to an elite military academy. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so I think um, following that, uh, getting into Jugend, uh, he became part of the elements uh, under... I forget. I know Jesse, uh, Jesse Black, or I think his, yeah, yeah, he started Mm -hmm. the elements and then Ramses and Sigurd, uh, also joined them. And Hugo is also a part of that. Uh, and, uh, I think he stuck with the group, uh, even after Jesse and Sigurd left. Uh, and he went on to design most of the elements mechs. Uh, and I'm not, I don't remember if there if it was denoted uh, when the Solaris Shavat War started, uh, but during that he met his uh, he met the person who would become his wife, uh, Yui uh, Yui Balthazar, uh, who is the granddaughter of Old Man Bal, uh, and I think at that point uh, I my perception gets a little bit fuzzy. Uh, I believe they fall in love, and I believe Satan officially defects uh, and goes to live on the surface. But I don't. He goes. Think that's correct. I, I have one lizard brain correction. No, no, no offense oh, yeah. intended. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> his, his Yui is uh, Gaspar's daughter, not not Balthazar. Oh, okay, my bad. Uh, but you're correct. He goes. He, he goes to live. On the surface, but that is at the urging of Emperor Kane, because Emperor okay. Kane knows there is a particular problem that he needs to have observed. That that particular problem being Faye, and whether or not yes. he will be useful <laughs> to the Emperor's particular scenario. So at that point in time, and, and, and I know in, in our podcast, especially early on in our podcast, we give we give Sighton a lot of a, a lot of shit because yes. he's he's kind of an asshole to to Faye. Yes, he knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, he knows everything that's going yeah. on, and he's but still he, saying what he says. Yes, yes, he but he, but he has a very specific burden that he has to shoulder and maybe that is why he is like so adamant about certain things uh because he knows that at any point in time Faye could go nuclear and turn to id and destroy everything and he has a very delicate tightrope to walk. So uh I am not saying that I uh, that that I am explicitly apologizing to Sighton for for talking bad about him, but he did have a a burden with, that I was not aware of when we were originally sort of dissecting this game from a, uh, I, I, I guess, a, in, in a linear fashion. No, I think that's a, a better view to have than the Tumblr slash Twitter outlook of, oh, he's not a cinnamon roll, you're not allowed to like him. Oh, yeah, I've seen plenty of, like, Seton's an asshole posts. <laughs> like, everybody uh, really hates this dude, but, like, yeah, I mean, there's obviously a reason, or I guess a method to his madness, and, like, I always found Sidon to be, to be kind of interesting because, like, you just see him as just the all-knowing guy, right? Like, he obviously knows much more about the story 
And I guess, like, people really hate him, especially for, like, the, um, the Solaris incident with Faye and Ellie. Oh, Soylent. <laughs> Where they... Oh, yeah. The, uh, the Soylent thing. Yeah. The Soylent thing. Like, I know a lot of people hate him just for that alone. I mean, come on. It's kind of squeaky, yeah, but... <laughs> come on. He could have told them it was made out of people. <laughs> yeah. I like Incitin's behavior there to where I'm watching my cat sneak up on something where the end result is like something's going to fall or make a loud noise and scare the shit out of the cat. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like rubbing my hands together like, yes, yes, please check it out. Because I want to observe what's about to happen because that will be amusing to me. But the difference is Sidon is dealing with someone who's basically a nuclear bomb uh, doing that at that at that point. So there are greater implications there. But I think his curiosity in situations like that, gets the best of them that exceed his role as a guardian angel to observe Faye and report on whether or not he's uh, dangerous. Yeah, we, we've often wondered if he has any sort of prime directive during his mission to observe Faye. Like, is he allowed to intervene? Mm-hmm. Because it appears like there are many times in which he could intervene in, in, in certain situations, but he doesn't. Like, the, early on in the game, of course, like, in the first, like, boss tutorial battle, when you are learning that you... If an enemy is rendered in 3D, you can't hurt it when you're a 2D sprite. He brings you the gear in the giant land crab in the forest. And that's one of the few moments when he shows up and, and does a cool thing. Otherwise, he's just kind of like sitting there observing and he's the one to, you know, press the buttons on the terminals when when you reach a terminal that has a lot of lore in it. But it's very interesting, like, to, to, to wonder whether or not he had the ability to, you know, choose to, to join phase team mm-hmm. uh throughout the entire game or if he was not granted that opportunity until much much later in the game once you get to w- once you get to solaris solaris and he has that like that that final moment in which he he you know uh traps Faye and then and then becomes a double triple quadruple agent or whatever he ends up being you get the feeling in uh, like uh, toward the end that kane is actually leaning toward siding with humanity and that's ultimately the reason for his disposal so maybe some of that kind of bled off onto Sidon since that's who he was in direct contact with taking those orders. That makes so maybe, perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think there's a, uh, you know, that Final Fantasy VIII theory about Squall being dead at a certain point. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was, it didn't really pan out, but as soon as Sidon showed up in D block, just appearing to Faye, I was wondering maybe if like Sidon was secretly his invisible friend that was enabling him to do all these crazy things. Yeah, well, he does like in, have those two other invisible friends, so. Uh, what do you mean, the, uh... Um, so, the coward, Faye, and it. Oh, right. oh yes. you're talking about yeah. his actual, yeah, his actual invisible yes. friends. It is interesting yes. that, that, that you bring up the, the, uh, Saiten appearing in D-Block, because he does that a couple of other times in the story, where he, where, like, Faye is alone, and he's confused and doesn't know what's going on, and then Saiten just kind of walks in the door, because that, that very explicitly happens at the beginning of disc two at Tara Melchior's house when Faye is like, he wakes up, he's like, Oh, I'm, I'm naked in a tube, in, in a tube. And uh, where am I? And I'm in the forest. <laughs> and then, and then Saiten shows up and is like, Hey guys, we have, we have more missions. I have, I have more missions for you. So he, he's got that knack. Yeah. It's like Tyler Durden, but nerdy instead of ultra cool. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Well, he does have a sword. He gets a sword later. So that, that is what makes oh, him uh, ultra. Yes. Yeah. That, um, that, that is what when- makes him ultra cool. When I was a kid, I had this thing for glasses guys, and like whoever was the glasses guy, I gravitated toward. And when he got that sword, just something about him started to scare me. And I was like, hmm, I'm going to crush on somebody else now. 
Wow, that, that that's an interesting read because the the sword just made him that much cooler. Because when when, when we started playing this game again for the podcast uh, this past summer, uh, he in very, very much in, in in my head was like, oh yeah, he was my favorite character in the game because he gets a sword and samurai samurai people or samurai influenced people are very cool and you know not not really realizing how he you know sort of treats people along the way. But it's it's uh he's he, he's probably I, I would say and and, and I, I don't know if if this is where I'll land by the time we, we, we finish our playthrough, but mm-hmm. I would say with the exception of maybe Krellian, Groff, and maybe that's it. He's, he's cited as the most interesting character in the game because he has the most complex arc. He has the, he has both the biggest burden to carry and the, maybe the most pivotal decision to make. He's probably the most present character in addition to Faye too, meaning he gets the most screen time, and then is allowed to kind of exist over the course of the entire narrative, as opposed to having these individual arcs that kind of get short shafted, like Rico yeah. or uh, Maria. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. It also helps that you're introducing him really early on, too. Yeah, like he's immediately presented as like the sage, like knowledge figure that Fade trusts unconditionally. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of an archetype. Uh, I think Chris and I frequently point to Orin in Final Fantasy X as occupying a similar role without yeah. the betrayal aspect. Yeah, yeah it's like that mental role. And also, like, he's easily one of the most, like, overpowered characters in the game, yeah. too. Like, oh, yeah. You get him early on, and, like, he's got all these crazy moves, and meanwhile, Faye is still relatively weak at that point, too. So it's like, it, it's, it's, he's, he almost occupies all sorts of different tropes in one. It's like, you see him as, like, this mentor type that, like, oh, you know, he's kind of just, like, helping, Faye understand his powers and meanwhile he's got all these crazy abilities is Faye gonna learn some of those abilities too so it's like there's all these expectations that kind of get put in your head when you see Sitana Uzuki and then like as the story plays out you start to learn all this extra stuff about him and it kind of just turns some of that on its head I often wonder if 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 Saiten's like uh, mechanical prowess like the, the fact that he's a really good character and they give him a sword and he gets even better it was was an explicit choice when the game was being designed, like we, like when they were, when they were balancing the stats or whatever, that w- mm. whatever they do, they're like, let's make this guy really strong because he is the one that should be strong. Like, I, I, I wonder if that's a coincidence or, or if that was a choice. Well, that, and then they're cutting characters too. Like, um, uh, I can't think of her name, Bart's cousin. What's her name? Margie. Margie, Margie was yeah. supposed to be a playable character. And then at, at some point she got cut. But then at some point there was also an argument like, wait, do you want us to give Sidon two sets of death blows? Mm. Like, why don't we just make this two separate kids? So from yeah. a, a design technical standpoint, it seems strange for one character to get that much attention. Indeed. They also, <laughs> maybe they already had the, uh, the, the, the kanji poems. They wanted to be written during the elemental death blows. So like, we really <laughs> need to like, go ahead and give him the sword. Like we don't have time to, have Margie fucking pull landmines out of her hats. Yeah, that that also makes me think that the removal of the sword in the beginning was the the thing that was uh, pulled out of their hat. It was like maybe he, they intended for him to have the sword all along. Yeah, that, but that made him too menacing. <laughs> that is true, and, and his acceptance of the sword is a turning point. Like Yui gives him the sword in. Uh, they're in Shavat just before the party leaves for Solaris and she knows full and well that he is going to have to make the decision on whether or not he is going to side with, with the Solarians or side with, with, the, with, with the surface dwellers and I don't think that Saiten knows at this point in time that the Emperor is going to at least partially push the 
decision point on Decyton himself, but that's a very symbolic turning point because the sword is given to him, and, and that sword was sort of seal, sealed up is the word that we, that, that we see used a lot. His sword was, was sealed up in order to prevent him from become from being the killing machine that he once was, but now he has to take it back because he has a, a, a specific duty and or emotion to, to, to chase after. This really makes me want to replay because <laughs> the last time I played Xenogears cover to cover uh, was 20 years ago. <laughs> so, and I was, I think I was 16 and I had all these 16 year old emotions. So I, I really want to see how my perception of the game has changed over that, that amount of time. Well, if you, For not, if you are a human, they will be different. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> For not playing for 20 years, your introduction to Saiten, you retained more information than I, I, I think after I took a 20 year break, my summation of Saiten was like, uh, green robe, uh, betrayal. <laughs> <laughs> right. And even though, even though you, 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 uh, said something about old man Bal being related to, to Yui, I didn't even remember who old man Bal was when, when we started oh, doing uh, this. So. so about five years ago, I got super like re-obsessed with Ramses. So I, set about writing a fic that like puts him in, in the party, like right before the fight with Deus. Uh, and I did a lot of research. I did a ton of research uh, because of Ramses's relationship with Emperor Kane. I went and backfilled Satan's uh, relationship with Emperor Kane. Yeah. And that, yeah, that led to so many rabbit holes. Yeah. Ramses is a rabbit hole in and of himself. So Yeah. Chris and I stumbled upon a strange scene that I would like to get your all's take on. Okay. It's mm-hmm. your first trip back to Shavat, and if Saiten's in your party and you're exploring around um, the capital, not the old city, but the capital, and you go into one of the apartment rooms, mm-hmm. and it's it's Saiten and Yui's house, and Yui's just there cooking lunch, oh. and I, I can't tell if like Saiten is just in deep cover or if he just doesn't want to talk to her, but like there's she hasn't seen him in months, and there's no dialogue there he's like oh yeah what's up <laughs> yeah it, it's ext- it's extremely interesting too because eric experienced it that way but w- when i got there i did not have Saiten in, in his in his party mm-hmm. or in excuse me in my party and and i had bart and bart was like what Saiten has a wife <laughs> oh my god and uh and, you know, it and, seems it, like uh if they didn't have the tech to put that like uh text hook in uh that would be my excuse but if bart says something but satan does not uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there there are very clearly a, a couple of different pieces of incidental dialogue based on who you bring. Like, there's some stuff in Zaboim if you bring Ellie uh, versus if you don't bring her. And uh, so I, 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 I tend to read it, like, the same way Eric did, where it's like, he just, like, didn't know what to say there because he, because, like, uh, she, like, we just got done climbing Babel Tower, yet she's here, you know, making making lunch for us. So, uh, hey, dude, did you couldn't have said that your wife's already up here. How'd she get up here? Like, <laughs> right? she doesn't have a platforming gear, right? Yeah. You could have, you know, hitched a ride with her. I don't know. Yeah. Also video my, games. My hope is that there was too much to say, so he didn't say anything. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah, that's a good take. I think that episode that we, t- we discussed, that'll be out in a couple weeks, so uh, please look forward to it. Okay, cool. will do. And I, I guess I kind of wanted to talk about Satan and his relationship with his family, because... Yeah, like something like that. They seem, I don't want to say distant, but it's just a I think weird maybe dynamic. You should say, 
I think you should say distant because he 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 says at some point in time he's like, yeah, my 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 daughter doesn't really talk to me, and she doesn't talk a lot to begin with because it's very very heavily implied that she has telepathic power along with uh, along with Billy's yeah. sister, but he's like, yeah, my daughter doesn't talk to me, and it's kind of like like we ascribe that early on as like, oh, he's a he's a he's a shit father, but. Maybe it has. Maybe it's a little beyond that. Mm-hmm. It could be both. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> it could yeah, be both. That, that's true. Like the weird experiments that Saiten is running on Faye. I can only imagine what uh, raising the child Midori would be like at that point. Like what you know, crazy things that he did when he I don't know turned off the water to the only bathtub in the city for her yeah. or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be tough. I mean, I taught my four year old kids how to play arms this weekend, so. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess it might be, I don't know if it's a Japanese trope that we're not familiar with, but uh, the way Midori acts or doesn't act is, is sort of trauma trauma indicative to me. That's how I read it. Yeah, yeah. I think you guys on one of your episodes kind of, I mean, comparison of like to Billy's sister, which we kind of know why she is like she is, but it's just kind of... I don't know if they really yeah. went into any type of trauma with Midori. There, there's also the, the the read that I don't know. I don't think that we're. I don't think this is an original thought, so I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know who to ascribe this to. But there is the influence of the Arthur C. Clarke novel *Childhood's End*, which was cited as, in some interview, was cited as as Takahashi's favorite favorite book, at least at the time this this game was written. Mm-hmm. And that book very specifically. Well, Eric, can you can you explain this a little bit better? You fi- you finished the book, I haven't finished it. Uh, yeah, spoilers for Childhood's End. It, the third act of the book basically implies that children are leaving behind the human consciousness and forming a collective consciousness that will uh, evolve the race post-human and eventually form a consciousness that leaves this planet behind. So interesting. So we think that maybe so, the, I, the, the the telepathy that is on display by both Midori and Primera may be a, a, a subtle reference to 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 that particular yeah point. especially when you mix in with the the ether of the world and how i think it's the zo whatever's responsible for the ether that i can't remember right now is kind of getting that in the air literally and then the children the latest generation for you know the final generation if things are going according to plan are starting to display the effects of that more presently and more directly yeah because i don't think we know other than the orphanage kids there aren't really any other main character children in this game uh, i don't think the ones that take your money and start a shop that's the only ones that are the ones i can think of oh yeah yeah them and then the kids that put on the play but they don't as far as we know they're not i mean they're verbal at least right, so right, maybe right. that's and not there's right. danny oh yeah dan uh, yeah oh yeah uh yeah throwing the dress <laughs> i don't think I don't, I don't think he got the the ability no no do you think that midori is aware of Seton and like his relationship with kane that's a good question. Like, if she can read, like, if, if she can look inside of his head, that I think we maybe speculated that was a cause for her not trusting her father if she knows right. what he's up and to. That could, like, be a potential reason for her silence. Like, maybe she is more aware of the situation. I guess maybe she knows more than Seton. Huh. How's that for a theory? That's yeah, that's messed up. Or maybe she stumbled onto <laughs> something she should not have and got clapped back and just has not since then. 
Are you implying that Seiden has a porn collection? (laughs) No, I'm implying that he was doing something with Emperor Kane and she saw it and uh, got punished. Yeah, that's a possibility as well. But also probably porn. (laughs) The hottest girls of uh, Solaris. Yes. (laughs) Well, no, there's uh, there are on the walls in uh, the bar in um, D block. There are digitized pictures of pinup ladies. So I, that has to be a real person out there somewhere who is in Xenogears. <laughs> I remember that. Isn't there like a picture of Tifa somewhere in there? Yes. There's also a picture of Tifa in a Solaris apartment. I do remember that actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah someone's going to find that picture. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I thought about putting it in like that reverse image lookup site, but then it's like a three pixel by five pixel height. Like it's gonna be really, yeah, it's gonna be yeah, very hard to do. It would that. be impossible unless you had the access to the original files or something. Or maybe whoever has that VR mod and they do the weird resolution thing can get a better look at it. That'd be a weird thing to do, though, right? Hey, can I borrow your VR setup so I can look at this picture? Uh, <laughs> I wonder if you bar. could like. I wonder if you could do like a free camera. Like maybe there's a mod that you can put onto that. Like mess with the um the code. Like use like a game shark to mess with the code to unlock a free camera. Yeah, a lot of modern emulators like do that. Like I know um in Xenoblade One, there's some really funny stuff with when you use a free camera because certain character models aren't like fully rendered. So like there's cutscenes where Shulk is off screen, but then like if you use a free camera and you actually can see him in th- in the scene, it's like his models all messed up. Yeah, that's always the, the comically out of proportion models that are in some of those scenes are really good. Not for I've never seen Xenoblade, but I've seen like Firewatch and stuff like that, where it's just like a mutated, like yeah. a post uh, uh, Xenogears changed Reaper human world. People kind of look like that. Well, uh, well, along with Midori, it's kind of interesting because like looking at like Yui's background is that she was. Um, Let's see. She was uh, a Shavat like soldier, right? Or yeah, as far as I know, and like there's not a whole lot of background uh, on her, but she she was fierce she, and she was she, cool, and now she's a mom. Yeah, she sounds badass because like, uh, uh, well, I, it's been a while, but according to like the the wiki for Yui, she was the actually the one who defeated Saiten in battle and took him prisoner, and they just wish we could have seen more of that more of her i wanted i want a cutscene of that <laughs> yes yeah anime cutscene please it's kind of cool that Sitan took her last name mm-hmm. too it, it, it's really weird because like maria maria is 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 balthazar's granddaughter right and her name is maria balthazar but Yui's name is not, in a, at least in the game or in, in, in common fandom wikis, at least, Yui is referred to as Yui Uzuki instead of Yui Gaspar. So it's, yeah, it's, it's confusing. Yeah, because in the wiki it says that Gaspar's last name is Uzuki, which I... Mm, Gaspar Uzuki? I don't, I don't know. I guess there's just not congruency on the three wise men and right. where their, their first name or surname lies. Who knows? Yeah, yeah I think my lizard brain uh, got it wrong because I was thinking of character name, last name, Balthazar. (laughs) (laughs) But it was Maria. So many granddaughters. It is kind of funny because like Gaspar, um, Balthazar, and I think there was one more character. Melchior? Melchior, yeah. Like those are all characters in Chrono Trigger. 
even though they're not yes. related, like they're not the same characters. So I always thought that was kind of interesting. No. Yeah, I think somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that the that those names in Chrono Trigger were the, those changes were made during localization, and they just gave them that they gave the, the those three sages the names of the three biblical wise men. But in Xenogears, those were the actual names in the original script. But I, I'm not 100% certain that's, that's correct. Yeah, I'm not 100%. Definitely worth the Googling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could be like one of those things like, um, I think in Chrono Trigger, where you had a Briggs Wedge, and I forget the last guy's name, that are that appear in the Millennium Fair, too. Yeah, Biggs and Wedge. And uh, yeah. there's another one, too. I can't remember. There's one more. I can't think of I think, can't think yeah. of the name right now. So. Biggs and Wedge were in Final Fantasy VI, uh, VI's intro, but in the original Super Nintendo release, when it was released as Final Fantasy III, they, I guess, misromanized them, and it was Vix and Wedge. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, Named after the infamous Vapor Rub, of course. <laughs> the, yes. Yeah. And they, they still have Biggs and Wedge uh, show up in Final Fantasy XIV. Yep. God, yeah. You got to keep your Star Wars references going, mm. I guess. I think so. I yep. feel like they took a game off. Were they in twelve? I don't remember twelve. We are in fifteen now. Well, no, no. I mean, but we're we're Biggs and Wedge in oh, twelve. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know. I I've kept track of Sid, but not Biggs and Wedge. I've I yeah. I've never played FF twelve. I know some people tell me that I should, but it, I kind of fell off of Final Fantasy just in general. Huh. I need to play the Zodiac Age version of it. Like, when I played the original FF12, it seemed, like, half-finished. Like, a lot of the villain characters died off-screen, and I'm a villain person, so that pissed me off. <laughs> so, but I, I did I did enjoy what I played of it. It was it just felt incomplete. Uh, but I know there's a re-HD thingy thing. <laughs> so there, yeah, like, Zodiac yeah. Age. 12, I think, is comparable to 15 in that... It was a big mess for a long time and then stitched together to make a release date. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because they switched directors. But anyway, Saiten or Satan. But yeah, I mean, like, I don't know what else we can really say about Midori uh, other than she's mysterious daughter who might, may or may not have psychic powers. <laughs> She may or may not be aware of what her father's she doing. She may or may not have dirt on him. She may or may not be named after Seton's favorite color. There's also a liquor named Midori, and it's green. There, there is. Yes, you can make some very good melon balls with that. Uh, Chris, I just found out we have to drink for our wrap-up podcast. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> yeah, get you some Midori and some Kirschwasser, even though Kirschwasser is a Xenosaga reference. <laughs> It, it, it works. Is, it works. It's in the family. Anything is better than Soylent, because we God. did that. Yeah. Oh, oh no. God, I forgot about that. Yeah, that, that episode has not been released yet, but uh, also please look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> please look forward to our, our misery. So is that the like the, the Swedish health drink Soylent? Yeah. The, I don't know if it's Swedish, but it's definitely for rich people who think they're doing uh, something. Yeah. I think Soylent was like a tech bro thing where they, they tried to make a complete meal replacement without being aware that stuff like Slim Fast already existed. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, it's we uh, – unless you like – one of those people that listen to noises of people retching and also retch yourself, uh, <laughs> it's it's an okay podcast. <laughs> well, I look forward to it. Um, well – 
All right, so I guess we can start talking about um, his relationship to with Emperor Kane. Yeah, I, that dude. That dude. Uh, yeah, Emperor Kane's. <laughs> Do we have Emperor Kane's a really interesting character because he he definitely is the one that looks the most like Satan. But God, yeah. when you when you really like start to map out the relationship, then Satan is the most like Satan because he's the you know he's the he's the the fallen angel from heaven that goes to earth mm. to, to 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 tempt the 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 main character, and uh and but but that that is one of the sort of the 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 surface to air uh, relationship that is that the first surface to air relationship that is introduced in the game because very early on i think it's after Faye it's, it's it's after the first encounter with groff mm-hmm. and when Faye and saiten are trapped on the ave transport i guess Faye is sleeping in in what appears at the time as like a flashback it's actually a psychic connection i guess between saiten and kane where they're sort of t- uh, debriefing the the current situation, but also introducing a bunch of terms like time of the gospel and, and having a bunch of words in the middle of dashes and, and generally confusing the player. And a lot of those conversations don't pay off until much, much later. And they only pay off much, much later if you're fucking taking notes. But, (laughs) uh, but that's really one of the first things, one of the first scenes that's like, wow, this game has, Many many things going on, many, much many more things than than you know your father's Final Fantasy. <laughs> Did we ever establish whether or not their meeting in the JPEG room was an astral projection or a physical place that he had a somehow backdoor to? Like, is there any firm evidence toward or, or actual official source toward what that I, is? I feel like that's just the, the the general consensus within the the, the Xenogears discourse for for whatever that's worth, but. It is strange though because Ramses physically appears there when he kills Kane late oh, yeah. in the game. So, and then all the all the all the JPEG paintings that are swirling around him then fall into the into space. So I, I I'm not exactly sure how that works. We do know that Ramses like uniquely has the power to kill Kane. So maybe he's the only one that can go there. But mm-hmm. it, in terms of like the only way that those conversations could happen would be if that was some sort of psychic connection or astral projection or yeah it has to be like a psychic thing or even like some weird dream world type of situation yeah weird dream world is is probably the best way to describe that room yeah it was during when they were sleeping right so they could it could be a lucid dream that they all just yeah share yeah you know i i've, I've played this game I've had this, I had 20 years to think about this but I've never thought about it <laughs> I was just sort of like oh uh, Mork calling Orson, come in, Orson. Yeah, <laughs> that that is actually a really good, uh, a really good uh, analog there. The, uh, the 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 Mork and Orson thing. Yeah, shout out to Nick at Night. Friends is on there now. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I don't like hurts. Friends. I don't like Friends. I just wanted to make everyone feel old. Uh, I need to go watch Get Smart now. Ooh, yeah, Get Smart was was something that I watched as a at, when I was like nine years old because it came on like same because it came on like right after regular Nickelodeon went off and I was like, what is this? This is funny. Yeah. I my mother tricked me into watching it by pointing out that it was the voice of Inspector Gadget. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's true. So yeah, I I I definitely think that 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 is one of the first like with, with, with Groff in in that conversation 
between Saiten and Kane being introduced so close together is a very early tip of the cap to like, you know, this is not your, this is not just any old RPG. This is, we, we have some, some conspiracies to unwind here. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately that, that, that relationship becomes the culminating moment for Saiten once they get to Solaris to sort of, once he gets there to deliver, deliver Faye for lack of a better term. Yeah, I have some lizard brain, like partially uh, fanficy observations about Emperor Kane. Uh, if if you'd let me have the floor for go a ahead. Second. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, when I was doing my research, uh, I sort of got the impression that um, Emperor Kane knew that he was going to be betrayed. Um, so, like he o- over time, well, he he had ten thousand years just to sort of watch. Miang's movements. Uh, I think he was the first human that was created uh, on the planet, uh, besides Abel. Uh, and the rest were sort of generated uh, via a device that he and Miang activated, or maybe just Miang. I don't, I don't particularly remember the details of that. Uh, but yeah, like, Kane was on the side of Deus for a long-ass time, and at some point he started drifting. Uh, and if you... I have a, a rip of the Xenogears models, and uh, you can I can fly around Deus, and Deus, on each of Deus's arms, uh, there's a female figure and a male figure. And I always sort of, like... Uh, attributed it in my head to, oh, this is me. This is Miang's place. This is uh, Kane's place. So, so I think that's my second lizard brain dump. <laughs> that's a really good read. I had never even considered that. When you say Deus's model, do you mean the one that is fought? Um, yes. The last the, boss model. Okay. Uh, okay. We haven't, I haven't seen that in 20 years either. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm so actually we, looking that up and, Wow, I, I don't think I've ever even picked up on that. Yeah. In our playthrough, we just fought the decaying husk and kind of noted the different the similarity between its face and then the the well, the mutated face mm. of the uh, populace. Yeah. <laughs> that is really interesting uh, that they had – because the, the male and the female models could also be references to the uh, – the, the contact and uh, – The anti-type. Really. <laughs> Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. That and well, and that kind of leads you back to the the one winged angels that are in the both the Nissan Cathedral and yeah. the and mm-hmm. in the entrance to Merkava. And we kind of wondered if like did Krellian put the projections of those angels in the entrance to Merkava to to Merkava to fuck with Faye, or did he do or or were they already there because that is where. Like that is where the seed of 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 the Nissan religion was planted when humanity was created. It's there's a lot of different ways to look at that. And you saying that those things are actually on Deus makes me think that yeah, they were like this was just baked into humanity's DNA to like build a religion around th- this particular concept. Yeah, there's a difference in the the humanoid models with the one wings and uh, Deus's hand puppets because <laughs> yeah. uh, Deus's hand puppets have uh, a, a little bit more uh, articulated modeling like there's uh it looks like hair to me um but the uh the the models in the church and in Merkava, uh they they're very formless they're very just right. like silhouette people but i think i think it connects too yeah uh, uh, i think yeah <laughs> 
I think that's a really interesting read where Cain has been expecting to be betrayed. Because I, I, I was always, like, I, I've read him at least up to this point that he felt bad for 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 the sort of the process that he he executed when he originally uh you know took over humanity and and enslaved humanity and and all the stuff turned them into canned goods and all all, all the <laughs> all, all the things that he's done along the way and he eventually like his penance for that was to turn it over to the humans to to either to to fight and for, for their own existence and he sort of chose Saiten as his as his sort of closest closest ally to make the decision for me because there's a there, there's I don't remember the exact line but there's a there, there's a moment in time uh when during the when the party is in in Solaris where Saiten says to, De- to Jesse that that the emperor is aware of the situation essentially and at that point in time Saiten has made his decision and he's already kind of freed Faye in the party and they're kind of on the on the escape route and it feels like at that moment that he's sort of, you know, worked all of his issues out with who he is going to join, uh, Saiten, and, and and then by proxy, so has Emperor Kane. But him, him like thinking about or or him expecting to be betrayed is kind of an, a, another way to think about it in terms of like I expect to be betrayed because I know that like my betrayal is perhaps the the way that I achieve my my penance for what I've done. So that was um, masterfully articulated, Chris, but I have to confess that I did like a thousand yard stare into space when you mentioned turning people into canned goods as part of the grand plan. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I probably could have said it a little bit differently, but... but no, it was really good. I, I think because, you know, when you're mapping out your plan for humanity's future and then you can see the future and you see that as like a necessary evil and you're just like, oh, well, that's <laughs> fucked up, but, I, you know, we're going to have to... We're gonna have to get that, make that work, and pass it off for a few uh, dozen this years. This is reality. Let's go. <laughs> Are there any other uh, observations about uh, Sidon and the Emperor? Mm. Not particularly from my end. It just sort of seems random that he chose uh, Satan in particular. Uh, I guess, like. Aside I- from being smart and the only survivor of this plague. There and like he becomes badass, uh, but there doesn't really seem other than you know all this other special stuff to make him more special. <laughs> I, I think he chose. I think he chose him from like the, the the perspective of he chose him to make the decision on behalf of the of the humans because he was the one that had like his his specific mission was to determine if the contact would be an enemy or an ally. Like they didn't want another Groff. They didn't want another Lacan turning into Groff and then bringing about the destruction of, of whatever the 97% of the population or whatever happened back during the, the days of destruction. So I think that particular point or, or that particular uh, choice was, I I guess it it is random in the sense that like he was the one that was most apt to make the decision. But in terms of like how he got into like how he began his, his, his rise to, uh, being an element, I think you're right. I think that was random. Like he just like happened to be the one that was born that had like a lot of natural ability, mm-hmm. and, and also like it's also important to note that Saiten was able to align with an anima relic, and we know that like those who can align with anima relics have have like the 
the perfected or at least close to perfected versions of the Gazel Ministry's DNA sequence or whatever, and yeah. and, and that maybe gives him some of his innate ability. There's also the part where if you're going to, where I just am going to assume the elements are amongst the highest ranking and most trusted um, people in the Solaris soldier uh, tier. And if you're looking at the four that you're going to get to assign to this mission, um, even if they're disenfranchised from Solaris at that time, Sigurd has a responsibility to Bart. Uh, Jesse uh, likes guns way too much and has some kind of responsibility to Billy somewhere down the road. Ramses is a psychopath, so uh, your only remaining person is Saiten. That's also from true. The, yeah. We figured it out. We did it. Good point. <laughs> Mystery solved. Like, Saiten also has a responsibility to a family, but one that you know he'll readily yeah. give up at the drop of a hat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um. Yeah, that that is something. I, I, I didn't even think about that. Just like... I guess Saiten kind of just was a hand-me-down. And if you look at it from that perspective, that it's just like, well, that's who who else is left. Yeah, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Civilization (laughs) is coming to an end after 10,000 years. Then, like, this is the best we got, man. You go ahead. I know you're not perfect, and you had to give up the blade like people have to give up the drink. But But hey, you're really cool when you were a kid. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, also, isn't it implied that people who have aligned with Anima Relics also reincarnate? I forget that if that was a fanfiction thing or not. Was that a... I don't remember that. I think that it's a fanfiction thing. I don't think they explicitly reincarnate, but I think, like, they're, like, the, the closer you are to be, to, to alignment, like, the, the, the closer your, your DNA is to reaching the, you know, the, the, the point of alignment. So, you could actually think about that, like, it's like, I don't remember which Fatima ancestor, maybe it was Ronnie Fatima that originally aligned with, with Bart's gear, but Bart was also able to pilot it. I, I, I think I'm reading that correctly. Mm. And so maybe that's where that comes from in, 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 in the discourse. Like if my great grandfather was able to pilot an Omni gear, then so should I, I guess, as long as my hair is the same you. color. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, it just carries on. Yeah. The power is stored in the anime character's hair color. Yeah. Yeah, there's only so many choices. Yeah. The Fatima eyes can open doors and the hair can pilot gears. (laughs) Again, another mystery solved. (laughs) Run roll tonight. (laughs) Gosh, what else? What else? That's too funny. So what's this extra bullet point that you have here during Xenogears? I think I just put that there because I was going in chronological order uh, and uh, I didn't include what he did over the game time. I think we've kind of hit on all the major things he did on during the game ex- with, with, the, yeah. with, with the exception of, of the moment in which he uh, temporarily betrays the party in Solaris. Mm-hmm. Another part of the game where that are that's usually the basis of the fuck Seton movement. Yeah, that's weird too because he he very it's like it, it only takes about 15 minutes for him to like come clean and then you you, you pretty much know why he did what he did because i think the, the the way it's presenting it presented is pretty dramatic because you're kind of going down a hallway and then ellie's like hey why why are we going the back way why do you know the code to all these doors what is going on here and then all the lights go out and then Faye is alone and then he is he's bound and he's being sort of persecuted by the gazel ministry and then Sighting comes in later and then is a huge asshole to Faye for a while. And I, I think some folks, 
in our community have have theorized like maybe Saiten during this conversation of 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 making Faye angry is sort of in the process of working out his own feelings because mm-hmm. he's trying to actually I've got I've got the line here I'm going to read it. He says uh, childish ideals pale when placed before reality, but actually many are satisfied with that. Being given one's place frees one from any risk. Misfortunes may may be blamed on others. Do you know why people cannot exist alone, but under some bigger concept, such as a group or country, some people need a place to go to be themselves. The more stable it is, the more effective it is. The ministry gives them such a place. Under total surveillance, there is no need to bear the delusion of being an individual. What else could be easier? Facts are facts, so let's just accept them. It will be easier for all of us. Resistance is futile. It only makes things painful. And, like, you could... You can tell I rehearsed Yeah, he that. rehearsed it, but, like, <laughs> He, he's probably rehearsed it so many times that he's actually beginning to question those ideals. Mm-hmm. And he actually, he obviously has is questioning those ideals because he ends up going ultimately towards the side of like, let's retain our own individual individuality and, 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 and not become, you know, parts for, for the resurrection of God. But at that moment when he is, he's, he's accusing Faye of all these things and w- with the purpose of drawing out id to, then accuse it of not being strong enough. He is in a sense, working out his own, his own issues and from the environment that he was, that he was brought up in. And like, I think that moment is like, whether or not, whether or not he had decided which side he was going to join at that point in time is, is unclear, but it is clear that like he makes a decision like somewhat somewhere, you know, within the, the whole like Solaris episode, I think. Chris and I also speculated that when those lights went out, that Sidon had like in his pocket, like a life alert panic button that he had been <laughs> oh he had one finger on for like most of the game. And then finally just decided to push it when he, he couldn't explain his way out of this one. <laughs> I love that idea. <laughs> it's like anytime something's about to happen, he, he just has like his hand behind his yeah. back. <laughs> like he's just, he, he's like rubbing the top of it, just right about yeah. to hit it. And then somebody turns their head and he lifts his, he lifts his finger off the button and we're allowed to go. <laughs> yeah. Like, like he breathes a huge sigh each time. But that's like, that moment is, is uh, that that's not the last, you know, that's not the last, his purpose isn't completely solved at that point in time, but that that's sort of when his, when his arc ultimately comes to an end. Like he's, he's still mm-hmm. present in the story in a way which characters like, like Maria and Rico and, and Billy are, aren't, aren't present, but he doesn't really have much more than, than just being a, a party member who is also good at computers for the rest of the story, at least from the point that we're up to at this point. Yeah, I think uh, we were treated to A-plus character development when we were given Stan. Um, and it's it's a shame that we didn't get that level of anything with Billy, uh, Rico, and Maria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially Rico. I would have loved to have, have had an arc of, of Rico, Rico going back to the... Uh, I'm sorry if I interrupted somebody. Oh, uh-huh. I was just, just going to say, it would have been nice if we would have been able to... Uh, get get some finality on the on, on the Rico arc where yeah. uh, he you know got to go back and like beat up the Kaiser or something like who knows. That would have been cool. <laughs> I would have paid for that DLC. Yeah, I think you can right before disc one ends when you get your last little bit of freedom. 
uh, to explore the world map one last time. You can actually bring Rico back to Norchun and the administration building, and there's, like, no special dialogue. Like, they recognize Faye as being the champ and letting him in, but you'd think bringing this guy back home would... You'd want to draw something out of people, but the game's just not built for that. Yeah. No, unfortunately. Maybe when yeah. I retire, I I will personally re rewrite and recode the rest of the games, <laughs> unless it's already there. Done you go. <laughs> Zenogears recode does something. Addition. <laughs> Tim Rogers at Kotaku basically spent like an entire video series properly localizing Final Fantasy VII. So you know, if you have someone willing to pay you for a year and are uh, <laughs> A native level speaker, then sure. Nice. I do not know Japanese though, so <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I know HTML and a little bit of German. That's about <laughs> it for my languages. Well, the German is useful in playing Xenogears. It is. I, like I think for Chris and I uh, to pronounce things properly, we have to rely on uh, synthetic voices. So. Uh, okay. I just wing it, just like like we said earlier. You know, whatever whatever name comes to your to your head first, just yeah. say that. <laughs> as long as someone knows what you're talking about, you've effectively communicated exactly. the idea. Exactly. Yes. But yeah, like I'm trying to think about like Seton's relationship with characters outside of say Faye and you know like Ellie. Like Rico's so detached. I, don't, I can't even think of a scene where Rico and Seton really interacted. I mean, he said he definitely shows up there after Rico uh, kicks Faye's ass. So you have to think that he knows at least who he is and what he's capable of, and and then how he manipulates Faye to, mm-hmm. I guess, take him on. Um, but for a large part of the game, Saiten is kind of a, a world traveling man of all seasons. Like when you find out that he knows Sigurd, and you're like, "Oh, you guys, right. you guys know each other." And then Jesse shows up on the mm-hmm. Tims, and it's like, "Oh, you guys, you guys know each other." I mean, there's only a limited amount of characters you can draw from, but he definitely seems to have knowledge about everyone that you encounter. And I can't think of a time just offhand where he's um, stumped about what to do with a personal character interaction. Maybe he wasn't prepared for the dolphin crew uh, (laughs) operating the soundboard or the radar. I don't think anybody could be prepared for that, though. Maybe he was, yeah, that or he wasn't quite... (laughs) Anticipating the level of intoxication that has consumed the Tims. <laughs> so maybe there are still surprises out in the world that question his value of humanity. There are, or enhance there are it, a, few minute, a few moments when he's like, I don't know what this is. But I don't think those things start happening until like you, like the Zohar. He, like that's the Zohar is the one thing he has no, no clue about. Yeah, we're not quite there yet in our playthrough. Right, yeah, I, th- I think he went, when, when they access the data. In the Raziel's tree sequence, he's like, oh, they're talking about Zohar. I don't know what that is. And that that's the first time, or at least one of the first times he's been stumped. Yeah, I think that. Do you ever feel like that maybe, like, Seton is just, like, winging it? Like, he's just trying to maintain that all-knowing persona and that maybe he actually <laughs> doesn't have a clue on what's going on, but he's just kind of, like, faking he's sort- it. So yeah, he's, he's really good he at sort of improv. Has to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, he has knowledge enough about most things, but, and, and that, like, bubbles to the surface, and he can, like, make it look polished. But, like, anytime right. there's, like, any extra input, uh, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. 
In other words, he's a professional bullshitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that describes him. Like, I don't think lawyer is a profession in that world, but he would definitely be no fit is, for it. Oh, 100%. No is I'm just imagining uh, Satan in uh, a uh, Phoenix Wright situation. Yeah. He should be like Miles Edgeworth. <laughs> Only slightly less mean, because that's not his thing. I just picture him taking off the glasses and then rubbing the bridge of his nose and reapplying the glasses. I can see that too. That's too funny. So yeah, um, I guess what else could we really say about Seton? Um, I guess we could talk about like his gameplay style. I always found his fighting style to be really interesting. Actually, I found everyone's fight, fighting style just going to be very interesting. A lot of like a lot of Chinese style martial arts in here, which combined with the sword is really like kind of a weird blend of styles there yeah the couple i think chris sorry good uh the uh the couple of times i attempted to to restart xenogears in the last couple of years uh i would take satan out of my party because he was op <laughs> <laughs> there is a way he's got all those those arcane abilities they as they call them where he has the ability to uh amplify certain elements and de-amplify other mm-hmm. ones and like the, those things are never necessary to play this game, but it is a, it is an interesting sort of like buff debuff thing that you could do. Like if you were forced to do that a little bit more often, that would have made his his uh, his gameplay, especially early on, uh, a, a little bit more interesting. But the, the only time I can think I ever used that was like during the red rum battle when you can like make yourself stronger about uh stronger against against fire. I think I think is that that thing has a a fire elemental attack or something in the sewers. But oh yeah, you mentioned the sewers. Saiten also did a pretty uh, neat cover job, uh, and I don't think we've talked about that yet. Where you're meant to believe that uh, Red Rum was killing Rico's henchmen and other people in the sewers, but really it was kind of Faye going into id mode unconsciously in the middle of the night. And we were like, "Why is Saiten burying this creature? That's kind of like a weird ritual, right?" But it was he was hiding the evidence of what was happening, right? Yeah, that was one of those neat moments of 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 foreshadowing where like. You could tell something was going on, and at the time, it, it that that subplot felt disconnected from the from from the larger plot. But mm-hmm. ultimately, it was a it was one of the the better bits of subtle foreshadowing in yeah. this game. Yeah, it's very extremely subtle in comparison to some of the other moments in the game. That's... And there's a lot of not so subtle foreshadowing. Like you, you think about the internet. Like this is one thing we didn't talk about, but. When you're introduced to the character, when when you get up to his uh, his house on the top of the hill, mm-hmm. and he's out there in the backyard tinkering with his junk, and he like, Faye and him have had that conversation, and and then they like Faye leaves to go get ready for dinner or whatever. Then that music box thing like melts or whatever, and he's like, "Oh wow, this must be an omen." And you're like, "Okay, well, thanks, man. <laughs> thanks for pointing that out for us." Oh shit! Oh fuck! Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Satan, for pointing that out. I think I remember a lizard brain uh, hair uh, of around the office at Square. Uh, Tetsuya Nomura came up with the idea for Satan at some point. It's like, hey, we should have a cool Japanese sword guy. <laughs> but I do not remember the source for that, so that might be my head. I was going to say how... And it's stray hair. I think um, there was, I, I don't know explicitly who came up with the idea for him, but 
there was like some, I guess some, not necessarily, I guess strife maybe is a word, where like Takahashi, and this is weird to say now, like having played the Xenoblade games, but Takahashi had like a penchant for like dark and mysterious and, and drab and, and ominous things. And the the sort of pastoral look of, of Faye and Saiten that, that, that came out of that of that process was sort of contradictory that for what he wanted to go for, but came out the way it came out the way it was. I think there's some there's some neat stuff about how those characters were designed in the um the twentieth anniversary concert interview pamphlet. Mm. Oh yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, because I think didn't he say if he could one like design he would want to like change would have been like phase design. I think what might have been one of them, but maybe I misread. Yeah, I mean, if you think about the like um, the original pitch, I don't remember which, which interview this was from, but like the original pitch for the story was like a soldier of fortune with multiple personalities, and they definitely did not come out of the of the wash as a as a soldier of fortune. He has multiple personalities, <laughs> no. obviously, but he didn't come out as, as as that. Right. Yeah, he is far from a soldier. Also, always found it really interesting, like with his fighting style, how like um, every single time, he, I think it was his gear, where like every single time the gear would like hit an enemy, you'd see like a different Chinese character, and that like his whole fighting style just like is weird. Does anybody know what that poem is? Like whenever he used, I think it's "Festive Wind." Was that one yeah. death blow where he like slash? Does anybody know like what? Is, is actually like saying no i'm gonna find out or at least i'm going to try to find out like one of the other things i've been trying to find out is like mm-hmm. this is not necessarily related to Saiten, but like when when groff does his super guided shot uh in some of the battles he mm-hmm. does the he does sort of the same kind of uh thing as is phase wind death blow where he flies up in the air and like shoots a bunch of chi but with groff he has uh like a, a bunch of kanji pop out of that and and I'm, i've been trying to capture that so I could get some folks to look at it and, and, and come up with, with what it is. And we've gotten a couple of them, but like Festive Win is the next thing on my list that I'm going to try to figure figure out from, or at least I'm going to try to ask somebody to figure out because there's <laughs> no way I'm going to be able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also funny because like Saga has a move that's similar to uh, one of Xion's special uh, moves. Lunar Blade? It's like, yeah, Lunar Blade. Uh, she does something similar, and there actually was a translation for that because I remember I found it not that long ago, and I and I wish I had it up now for this. But yeah, uh, I would love to know what what it says whenever Saiton does that because like I remember when I was playing it, and, that, and I would see it happen. I'm like, oh, that's super cool. He's like the cool sword guy, but I'm like, I'm kind of curious to know like what that actually says because it's, it's just it still feels kinda like kind of a really random thing because like it's only him who has a move like that. Yeah, it's like somebody wanted to put this in there. So somebody ha- ha- had this thing they wanted to have in the game. In in the, you know, the samurai guy was the most important, the, the most important right. place for it. But then again, like one of Ellie's elemental death blows is a bunch of cartoon moles popping out of the ground. So <laughs> who knows? <laughs> True. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you have like that that very um, Japanese style swordsmanship c- coupled with like a Chinese-style martial arts, hand-to-hand combat. I, I don't know. I always I always found that really interesting how they blended the tail in this game, not just with him, but like with some of the other characters' mm-hmm. tail. Yeah, I mean, there's actually very... There, there's more characters that, that fight hand-to-hand than than 
that have weapons because I, I Ellie has a weapon. Titan gets a weapon later in the game, right? Uh, but that's kind. Of, and Bart has obviously he's got the whips, but that's pretty much it. He's got a whips. I don't know much about martial arts, but Chris is more observant than I am, and he pointed out that in one of Titan's hand to hand combos. I think one of the triangle moves is him finishing it by moving one finger yeah. to yes. deal damage to somebody. Yeah, That was extremely cool. That move is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I always really like that one. And then, like, doesn't he also have, like, some that are, like, he produces, like, after images, mm-hmm. too? Yeah, he does. I, 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 think it's, I think it might be his XX death blow. I could be wrong, though. Uh, did, does he... Is the stabbing... Um, a Harry Carey move is that intended to be literal or a metaphor? I think it's. I assume the latter, yeah. right? Because he just gets. He definitely back up. does the Yoshimitsu thing. Yeah. 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 And as we all know, Yoshimitsu does take that damage. Indeed, we all know that he does. And then he's got that other one that I always really liked. The um, it was Crystal Water. That was it. Where like he keeps slashing, and then you just keep keep seeing like Kanji appear. Yeah. And that that move is interesting because. That, like, really reminds me of Zeke's move from Xenoblade 2, where Zeke does that thunder attack, and he, sl- he's, he like, hits the ground, and then you see all the kanji appear, too. It's it's interesting that, like, Japanese, at least, I, I guess maybe for this, is, this only applies to Westerners, but, like, when we look at Japanese, it is, uh, the written language, it is such, like, a elegant-looking thing, but if we were to, like, if we were to, if the word, like, kill were to come out of somebody when, when somebody attacked and it was just the you know k-i-l just pops out of nowhere we, we would laugh at that i mean there is weird fixation yeah. like that right like a lot of the art in midgar and final fantasy 7 says loveless because they were obsessed with that my bloody valentine oh, record wow, cool oh. so there are you know just stuff gets carried over like that so sometimes. i have the i have the quote from the 20th anniversary uh interview with the character designer uh Tanaka, uh, 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 Kunihiko Tanaka, yeah, Kunihiko Tanaka uh, was asked yeah. about Saiten, and he said, uh, it was very easy to design him. The only difference between the final design and rough sketches is that he's a bit more shady looking. Uh, <laughs> and then the interviewer says, is there anything unique regarding his design? Tanaka says, it is the same for him for all my designs, but I liked how I tried to get Ellie to have a stormtrooper design. I tried to incorporate something that I thought would have been cool to the design for Saiten, it's the glasses. Like the mech... I don't know what this line means, but I'm going to read it. It says, Like the mech scope dog from Armored Trooper of Votums, I thought it would be cool if he had three monocles, and I thought it would be interesting if I designed the shoes the way I did. So, there you have it. <laughs> I'm going to start calling him Scope Dog. That's my new name for him. Scope Dog. Scope Dog. Does he... That's his uh, on-air radio yeah. DJ personality. If he actually started a podcast, that would be his name. <laughs> Man, it, it's just that's the thing with gears that just is so funny to me is that like you'll have you'll have certain things, certain details that are there because of like some deep lore, like some deep connection to like psychology and and the Bible and all that stuff. But then you'll just have random things like some of these attacks and some of the stuff we're talking about that's just there because, oh, yeah, they just like this yeah. one anime. <laughs> so they threw it in there. All artists created. Somebody liked this one anime. <laughs> Chris, yeah. did, maybe you have a better memory than I do, but didn't we accidentally solve where Hammer's name came from in our Twitter oh, comments? Oh, yeah, we did. Uh, I don't I don't have it with me, um, but... Oh no! It, it, it's in the so in the per, in the perfect works. Uh, Takahashi mentions that he had a friend 
and his name was like I don't know if it was like Hama H A M A was like his nickname or something. And I think some some folks in the, the in our uh, in the Twitter thread uh, looked up the the con or looked up the the original Perfect Works and stuff and found out mm-hmm. that it was some dude that he was friends with that worked on Front Mission that I think they they both worked on the same game at the same time and figured that out. Yeah. So yeah, it was just like oh, I named him after my friend. He he didn't name uh-huh. him after. You know, he didn't name him after like you know the tool from Animal Crossing and real life, but he named him. <laughs> well, that's sweet. Sorry, I have that's Animal funny. Crossing on the brain. No, I, I've, I've a lot of people do. Lot. I do. Yeah. Same. Yeah. This is my first Animal Crossing game. I think aside from the the twelve minutes I've played of the the mobile one, and it's nice. I need to try to make a site in, in that. I've been like the one person in the world not playing Animal Crossing, and it's kind of funny. No, me too. Me too. I'm there with you. Oh, cool, cool. It, the two of us. I, I'd save me. Uh, it's one of those things where if I opened it up, I would never stop. So it's one of the, I have to kind of save myself a little <laughs> well, bit. You guys yes, go over there and talk yourself. about Dreamcast, and we'll we'll talk about our cute outfits. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> two different podcasts right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was also something oh, that man. came to mind. I don't know if we can really go into it too much um because i think we might even have it written down as a future podcast episode idea but um even after xenogears there's been kind of you, you can kind of make like comparisons to other characters in the xeno games that are like kind of a Saiten archetype um like xenosaga has uh jen uzuki especially in episode three he has an outfit that looks exactly like uh satan's and I don't know how to. It kind of gets a little unclear after that. I guess you could connect like Dunban from Xenoblade One to Satan, but I guess that's kind of a hard to say. So I think. Oh, sorry. Go on. Well, I was gonna I was gonna elaborate on what you're trying to say. I I think like the idea was to see if there were any archetypes that are specific to Zeno games mm-hmm. in particular. And I guess by doing that, we'd be identifying any kind of weird similarities between Jin and Sitan, like beyond just the obvious, like, oh yeah, it's the, you know, long black haired guy who seems to know a lot and has a sword and is looks green. cool. Is Kareen, right. <laughs> and uh I, I think like that idea that you have a character that kind of knows more than they let on. And I guess like, are also in a weird way connected to the antagonists. Cause I know Jen is kind of connected to some of the main antagonists of Saga. And obviously we're talking about uh Seton's connection with Kane. So I guess like you'd have like some similarities like that Dunban's connection with like Mumkar. Yeah. Dunban's connection with, with like Dixon and Mumkar. Yeah, this is a stretch, but I always sort of uh, felt Morag in Xenoblade 2 as connected to the Uzuki sort of, like, You're not the first person to say that. Because, like, there's nobody else. And, like, I think... um, I know there's a couple of uh, throwbacks that Zeke does, but Zeke is very obviously Bart (laughs) connected. Yeah, Zeke is is Bart. For sure. Zeke is almost too Bart, I think. Yeah, like he is over the top. He's more Bart than Bart. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's like the only like real similarity that I see between Zeke and Seton is that one move, like Crystal Water and then Zeke's, uh, I forget the name of it. Zeke's, that's, that's one that Zeke does. Those look kind of similar to me, but like other than that, yeah, Zeke, uh, not a whole lot. If, if anybody has played Xenogears on the main cast of Xenoblade 2, it's Zeke. <laughs> Because he's got the the middle schoolers, like, I believe in this thing that I'm doing. (laughs) He hasn't been uh, disillusioned and ruined by the world yet. (laughs) Yes. Well. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much, I I think that's what what Tyler was getting at with um, with Sitan. Do you two think that, do you see any similarities with Sitan in Saga? Or if you even remember uh, much of Saga? I remember kind of losing my mind when I found out he shared the same last name as Xion, the protagonist. Mm. And then, again, memory's fuzzy, but isn't all you see of Jin in first Xenosaga is like an email or like a video conference or something it's, like that? It's like a video call. And like, what's funny is that like, it's a different voice. Yeah, and there's a... <laughs> he sounds so weird in it. It's like, he has like this much lighter, like younger voice. And then you get him in like two and you're seeing him and... That voice is completely different. It's like a much older, more mature, more refined voice. And you're kind of just like, wait, what? Is that the same person? Like, I I almost forgot that Jin was even in Saga 1 because of how different the voices are. It wasn't until I was rewatching cutscenes, like, not even that long ago that I realized, oh, wow, Jin was actually in the first game. But it was, you know, the voice was completely different and personality was different, too. I'm not sure if I even if I even noticed that because of the radical shift in art direction for I guess Xion and Cosmos between yeah, one and two. Uh, yeah, because Jen had two scenes that that video call and then he was briefly in the credits. Um, but yeah, those. Yeah, I think uh, he had they they gave Jen glasses in Xenosaga one, uh, and they removed those for Xenosaga two, and I'm not sure if they get I'm not sure if he gets those no. back. I think it it might have been like. A, a, a slant too far. Uh, so it's like, this is too much like Satana. Let's, let's, let's reel it back. <laughs> Trying not to get sued. Yeah, yeah but then when 3 came out, they just didn't care. All like, the gears whatever, We're gonna just... We're just gonna reference everything we can reference. Yeah, I remember uh, there's a gear, I think it's an optional fight toward the end of Xenosaga 3, and I either brought... And I don't think it was Chris, but I think I brought one of our other friends in my room where I had it prepped up and pointed to it and went, hey, you know what that is? You know what that is? I'm like raising yeah. my eyebrows like an idiot. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, Omega Id. And I think they even yeah. call it Id. Yeah, it's like it's yeah, literally Omega called Id. that. They did not care anymore mm-hmm. at that point. But as far as identifying sight in those games, I don't know that when I played them in my early 20s, if I had the presence of mind to try to recognize archetypes or if I just assumed every new game was a, a neat new mm-hmm. thing for me, despite the obvious similarities in the Zeno name and the development lineage. Now, I think I'm going to look for Saiten in games for the rest of my life. But at, the, at that point, uh, it was not committed to memory. Yeah, it's one of those things that you often notice in retrospect, like even for me, like I've played the, the Zeno games in order of release and... I pick up on like a couple little things, but it's not till like later on that I really start to think about it. Especially like today, like a lot of people will will go into these long arguments about which Zeno game actually fits in the series because it doesn't have it has or doesn't have this one reference from another game, or oh, Blade One didn't touch on the same theme from Zeno Gear, so it's not a true Zeno game. Like there's a lot of arguments with that where people will 
kind of just look for any kind of similarity to justify those games existing. But um, it is interesting to think about like where Takashi was coming from, which each of these games and where like he's drawing inspiration and how he's transferring ideas over between them. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's, that's kind of why we were bringing up the whole Seton thing since people often bring up similarities between him and other characters and mm-hmm. other games. I think that the, the Morag read is really interesting. Uh, I'm fresh off that game. Like when I think back to the characters in, in Xenoblade Chronicles two, like Morag is especially, and maybe this is true, like uh, just across JRPGs, at least in my headspace right now, like Morag seems like she is one of the more, uh, contemplative and well-adjusted characters at all. Like that she doesn't, I mean, she has a conflict to resolve, but mm-hmm. she seems to come to that particular decision quite easily because she is a, a, a rational person and can, can get there and, and she doesn't have any trouble getting there. And I like that a lot about her. I don't know if, I don't know if Saiten is in the same boat. I guess it depends on like which read you take from the things we were talking about earlier. But, but I, I, I think that like she kind of serves the purpose as like the, She's not a mentor to Rex, but she's like a she's a worldly person who understands the political situation and 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 what's going on. Oh and yeah, that's especially helpful. Like I think, yeah, it's like they're both mature and put together, and they don't like fall apart when things start getting bad. Like I think uh, there, I don't remember a situation in which Satan falls apart. I also haven't played the whole thing in 20 years. I'm sure he fell apart internally uh, at multiple points, but uh, presented that he still mm-hmm. had it together. Also, side note, I couldn't remember who Morag was from Zeno Saga or Xenoblade 2, so I Googled it on my phone real quick, and I mistyped it so bad it said, did you mean Miang oh. Xenoblade? <laughs> no! <laughs> wow. Okay, that's troublesome. Yeah, not the same thing. No. No. Uh, one of the one similarity, I guess, that w- would exist between Morag and Seton is their tendency to just watch. Like Morag often was just kind of watching Rex, and even when she joins, she's kind of just like, "Yeah, I'll just be in here for the ride, just to see what's gonna happen." And I, I guess that's like that they're kind of similar in that sense too. Yeah, I definitely see that. I, I not from what I remember, I don't know if she gives. Rex necessarily as long of a, a leash as Saiten did where uh, she'll enter the protagonist in a fighting tournament in a prison camp uh, <laughs> on a drunk sailor boat like he Saiten's leash on him is he has I don't know if it's trust or just a willingness to see what happens there seems to be a, a pretty um, large amount of free will uh, embodied or instilled in Faye from Saiten yeah definitely I think um Satan's like very long leash for Faye uh, is uh, the, the way I read it is he's definitely afraid of him, but he definitely thinks that he can handle whatever, whatever he throws. It might be also a little bit of uh, curiosity as well. Like, Hey, I'm Satan Azuki. This is Jackass. <laughs> Today oh, no. we're playing yeah. Faye in the tournament. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Then again, Rex like literally has a long leash. I think when he does those dives for uh, loot, right? Mm. <laughs> he does. I'm not even sure if it's a leash. 
but I, yeah, I don't is he attached to anything? Like what? I I can't visualize I, that right I now. He does. Remember, it's a uh, like a one of those Batman things. Well, no, isn't it his um anchor shot? No, because that's what it is. He jumps off and then he uses anchor shot to pull himself back up. That seems risky, but he's a, man, a professional. He? So <laughs> he is a man. Exactly. He's been doing it for I don't know how long. <laughs> 15-year-old man of the sea. Cloud sea. Yeah. Different than the real sea. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was always something that was kind of weird to me with <laughs> Xenoblade 2. It's like, oh, yeah, you can swim in the clouds. Like, okay. But you can also dive through them too. Just one of those things that you have to take for granted. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I just take it at face value. I don't put too much thought into it, but it did make me scratch my head. No, for a it's compressed oxygen that uh, causes things to float at x x x percent level. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely someone who's going to hear this and be like, "Justin's an idiot. He doesn't know that," and like just quote some weird obscure NPC that explained it or something. And, now, and then we'll know. <laughs> yeah. Challenge us. But yeah, does anybody have anything else to say about Seton? No. I don't know that Chris uh, Chris or I are, are qualified to articulate it without our old notes in front of it, in front of us, but one of our listeners had a pretty good read of Sidon from an autistic point of view that made a lot of sense with the way that they kind of tried to decode oh. it and uh, kind of explain Sidon's, um not lack of humanity, but kind of refusal to engage uh, in traditional forms of communication with people. That's yeah, awesome. That's, that's fascinating. Um, what, do you, what do you all remember about it? Uh, uh, yeah, Chris, I'm, do you have, uh, do you right remember uh, yeah. trying to find that? Yeah. Chris assembled the site and notes, as you may be able to tell, and I kind of uh, riffed on that one. You're valid. <laughs> yeah. Someone on this podcast got to be prepared for this. <laughs> sure. The 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 sort of the autistic read of of Saiten it's from our friend uh, on Twitter Light Nap or Alter Impulse on our on, on Discord. But it, oh yeah, they're yeah, my friend yeah. too. And, and 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 that read read is like Saiten is he he's 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 closer to like a like on on the the, the Asperger side of things where mm-hmm. he's highly verbal, he's highly talkative, he's eccentric, yet he and he sort of, he's like what what people I think the term that is no longer in use, but 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 maybe easier to understand is high functioning. I think the, the, the term that is used now is high, a high masking autistic person, uh, somebody who can, who can navigate society with relative ease, but yet still has those, those uh, non social ways of, of doing things. And that would sort of explain his, like how blunt he can be about certain things mm-hmm. and how he doesn't necessarily, um, he, he's not, is easily subjected to like having his emotions tugged at, or at least outwardly. So like, I'm like, everybody has emotions, but like he doesn't, he doesn't express that in, in the same, in, in, in the same way. So that, that, that's a really, I, I thought that was a really interesting read of it. Like, and, and that sort of solves like how he's kind of a jerk a lot of times, but you know, if you enter, if you've ever, ever interacted with somebody on, on, on the spectrum, they may come off as a jerk if you're not, you know, cognizant of, of what they're, uh, of them being an, an atypical person. That's really yeah, cool. It's really, and it's, yeah, it's, really, it's, a, it's a really interesting read. I mean, you can never like know what the intent of, of, of the character when, when he right. was written, especially because 
it was trade. You know, the, the this is we're working off a a localization, an English localization. So, uh, but it is like once you know, once the game is out, like the readers or the players or whoever are free to interpret interpret it however they wish. And I think this is a really interesting sort of uh, read on it, especially if you uh, think about how he was throughout the game. The, I think that the the best example of of that of that behavior is like when you're on the when you're on the Thames, like when you're first like meeting the men of the sea and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesse shows up and Saiten like doesn't and like he uh, obviously hasn't seen Jesse in years. This is their first introduction to Jesse, and he just kind of like, oh yeah, hey, you're Jesse, right? And isn't like, hey, good to see you, old pal, or what's going on? He's just like, well, hey, you must be Jesse, and <laughs> that's when. One of my favorite lines in the game, I have it written down here from our, the podcast we did on a, a while ago, is that Jesse calls Saiten a butt-kissing talker, which <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I just like to say butt-kissing talker because it's funny. But That's great. <laughs> yeah, that's a fascinating read on him. All right. Uh, is there any other last um, comments on Satan before we close up? He's he, he Go ahead. I think... I would just say I I think we have completed the debrief of yes Satan. we've gotten we've we, we we've we've done the t- done the deed uh, but yeah I, I I would I would like to um, thank you guys for having us on here it was fun to talk about this especially like I, I'm glad that we were able to choose a topic that we've already like done a lot of research on so we could contribute as much as we possibly could uh, so it was it was oh, yeah. it, the, the, the timing of this was was perfect yes thank you very much for joining us because uh, yeah we've. We here have been really big fans of your guys' podcast, so I was ecstatic that you guys accepted our invitation to join us. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's also like a surprisingly unique format. I don't know if like, I can't think of any other people who are doing like, like almost like a podcast Let's Play, but like not really like a Let's Play. It's just like, you're just going through every anything in the game that seems interesting to you and just talking about on the podcast. Like I actually really enjoy that because I've tried to watch like Zeno Gears Let's Plays and after like one or two episodes, I just fall off. But like I can listen to your, your guys' episodes and it's like, Oh wow, that's actually kind of cool. Doing the, doing it with, with audio only is, is unique because it's, I mean, for me, I don't know. I mean, I know that Let's Plays are very popular, but for me, I can't sit through a, a Let's Play either. I get, I get sort of bored for it, but if I can listen to something, whether it be a Let's Play or anything, any sort of, uh, you know, analysis or, or discussion of, of, of games or whatever I'm interested in, it's much easier. The, the audio is much easier because you can do other things. You can, you can commute, you can work, you can do other things like that. Right. And yeah. when we decided to do this, we're like, well, let's do like, we, we, we decided to do this just because like, it was a dumb idea that we had and we're like, Hey, let's try it. But the, the fact that like we couldn't find anybody else that really does anything similar it was definitely like helped us helped us give ourselves the green light to do it because mm-hmm. you know there's not I mean there's there's a, a million podcasts so you, you don't really want to just try to do something that somebody else has already done unless you know for a fact that you can do it better and mm-hmm. nobody knows if they can do something better than the best so so it, it, it's great that we were able to find a little like weird niche of, of, of things to do and and uh, we we've had so much fun doing it that we're gonna do it again on another game uh, when we're done with this. So it should be it should be a lot of fun. What is your next uh, game? <laughs> Interesting. Uh, w- uh, <laughs> let me check real quick. I don't know yet. Um, we are running a poll on our on our Patreon page right now for for our patrons uh, to choose our next game for us. 
Um, I, I can, I, the poll still has, is open for 36 days and it looks like there's roughly 10 or 11 people that haven't voted yet, but, uh, our list today, uh, in first place, uh, speaking, speak of the devil in first place is Xenosaga episode one, yes. uh, with 38% of the vote. Uh, Chris and I had it, came in with like 20 choices and narrowed yeah. down to these five uh, oh, nice. in second place right now is final fantasy eight with 21% of the vote. And then nice. tied for last is uh, three games: Earthbound, uh, uh, a, a uh, Suikoden, and Suikoden Two as as, as a, like a one one package, and, oh, uh, and, and and Chrono Cross. And we also have a, a a vote on here for Podcaster's Choice, which uh, for people to say like I don't care what you do, just use my vote towards whatever you want to do. So we're gonna do some interesting things where we weight the voting based on the tenure of the patrons and stuff like that. So. These numbers should shift, but it feels like Xenosaga mm-hmm. Saga is a strong favorite right now. But uh, we will probably uh, announce this, or at least, yeah, we'll probably announce this probably early to mid to mid May. Awesome. I look forward to whatever get, game you guys go with. It should be a good yeah, show. Unfortunately, there the, the, we 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 don't have any games on the list that have like weird robot computer voices, so that Eric doesn't have to create those little Gazel Ministry sequences. But yeah. That's a yeah. that's a blessing and a curse. I, I could I could do without the extra two hours yeah, of work but, for but each it, one of those. Nonetheless, I, I think it should still be fun and hopefully also good. Nice. Well, I'm sure we'll come up with some new dumb thing yeah, that I can absolutely. waste time on. That's kind of the point of this, right? Right. And then that, uh, I which I must commend you on that those gazelle ministry scenes. They 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 come off really really well. Yeah, I was hoping, like, sometimes the voices are a little mm-hmm. bit indecipherable, and I have to phonetically redo the words so that you can actually understand what they're saying, but it kind of works considering they're synthetic entities, right. so I, I hope it, I'm glad to hear that it, it paid off as something that is at yes, least comprehensible. I, I really enjoy those segments that you, you do. Oh, well, speaking of your podcast, Retrograde Amnesia, um, uh, could you guys share, like, every, like, how to, like, keep up with the podcast and where you are on social media? Oh yeah, we are on Twitter at Retro Amnesia Pod, and you can find the podcast on anywhere you can find podcasts: Apple, Spotify, Google, uh, Google Podcast, uh, and uh, we also post the audio on YouTube as well. And uh, yeah, YouTube is unique in that it has timestamps. I don't think we feature timestamps in any other way. To uh, uh, correction, egregious correction. Uh, the timestamps are on uh, are on the, the main feed. I don't think I, I don't put them on the Patreon feed because. It junks up. It it junks up oh. the, um, like the way it pay. Yeah, the way the it character limit or whatever. But they they are they are on the on the. Okay, free I didn't feed. know that. Uh, but I I'm d- I just assume that patrons listen to the whole thing. So whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah, you guys are on Patreon, and you uh, you, I guess one of your benefits is episodes a week early, and then you also have sp- special episodes as well. Yeah, we have uh, early one week early access. Uh, we have. With this may change in the future, but right now we're with Zeno Gears. We're doing a monthly bonus episode uh, mm-hmm. for for the three dollar tier, which is uh, we, we've done an or, one called the Origins of Zeno Gears, which is just like a, uh, a, a a discussion on like the history and development of the game, and and mm-hmm. we, we drew that. That's kind of why I knew where some of that stuff was in the interviews, is because we did a lot of a lot of talk about like how the game came to be, how it was originally a pitch for Final Fantasy VII, all that kind of stuff and Mm -hmm. just kind of talk through all that stuff uh we did uh, a couple of episodes called this is this was our maybe our dumbest idea but i think it turned out okay uh called the tournament of gears where we just made a a 32 uh gear bracket and then just 
advance the gears based on which one we thought was cooler. And that, no, that sounds amazing. <laughs> uh, and we did one, we, we did two on Saiten. The first one was called, is called Xenogears, Saiten and Satan. And we talked about the, how Saiten kind of maps to the, to, to the biblical Satan in, in various, in various ways. And then we did another one on, on his sort of his vibe, his, his vibe as a samurai and, and some of the other fan theories, like some of the stuff that we've talked about today. And uh, there's probably another one too. Oh yeah, we did. Maybe this is our dumbest idea. Our first bonus episode was us. Uh, I, Eric was playing the real game and I was playing the demo disc and we did a podcast while we were doing that. <laughs> and just talk through the demo disc, which the demo disc is kind of weird if you've never played it. So yeah, I uh, remember playing that demo disc a long time ago, and they yeah it was a very fourth wall breaking. Yeah, and in addition, we've done uh, we're doing it, and we've introduced a a mini a mini series uh, tier where our first mini series is on the Xenogears Perfect Works, which is you know the lore bible. Uh, Eric mm-hmm. has done a uh, pretty amazing job at creating a audiobook version of the first chap of the first chapter of of Perfect Works, oh, that's and. Cool. Uh, that on, on the history chapter, I don't know how much further we're going to do with the audiobook stuff because that's like it, it, at some point more than half of yeah, social structure. Yeah, we're, so, we're, yeah, we're going to do some of, of social structure, too. But like the translation is weird and it's kind of like hard to turn that into a into an audio format. Yeah, you can read it and get an idea from the Flickr uh, cancellation of perfect works and understand what it means. But it's not a sentence that you can yeah. say out loud. <laughs> yeah, it's the translation is not great. Uh, so but, w- but we're going to continue to cover that in like a podcast or a Q&A kind of form. Form. And then once we finish that, we're going to do a mini series on on uh, Terranigma uh, at some point in time down the road. Oh, cool! I've heard of that. Uh, yeah, another one of us have played it, so we're going to see. We'll, we'll see how that goes. But the sort of the it never came to North America, so yeah. it's kind of an alien artifact. So for sort of the, stru- both of us. the structure yeah. of the of the podcast going forward is going to be like we're going to do our main season on you know a big, relatively known game like Xenogears, Final Fantasy, Xenosaga, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, and then our our mini series will be on something that is maybe not necessarily um, as well known, still popular, yeah, but not and, like and, mega and popular. Too. Like Terra Enigma is probably a, a twenty or thirty hour game, or like we have written down Parasite Eve or Panzer Dragoon Saga, stuff like that. The, the bouncer. bouncer? No, we're not doing the bouncer. Oh, uh, I'll I'd play. Listen I'll, to that. I'll play the bouncer for charity, but that's about it. Oh. We're gonna do the bouncer, dude. I'm so I'm gonna quit the okay, podcast. We do the bouncer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that kind of about wraps it up. What our what our um kind of mission statement with that is, and our Twitter account primarily has podcast information, uh, late night screen cap shit posting, and Chris yeah, logging into the wrong account. No, I I understand. I I do that sometimes with our Zeno Chat Twitter account. So I feel you there. All right. Um. So we. Yeah, definitely, uh, listeners, uh, give uh, Retrograde Amnesia a, a listen. They are awesome. Um, so let's, I, I guess we could go around and anybody else can share any projects or anything they're working on. Um, uh, what about uh, you, Justin? So um, business as usual for me, I I had my Shemi review that was recently, even though it probably won't be so recent once this podcast goes up. Mm-hmm. I am also just working on projects in general. I've got that Zeno project that I am still working on. Um, I was actually playing some Zeno Blade Cross for that project, since it does involve that. Yeah, we played. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much been what I've been doing. 
trying to play some other games too. Like I just started Atelier since I actually want to cover that for my RPG panel whenever conventions start happening again. I would love to start doing those again and get some new material for that as well. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much been what's been going on with me. Really good things about that Riza, the latest one. Like to get that. Yeah, Atelier Riza is a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. Nice. All right, how about you, Kat? Well, I'm enjoying working from home. Uh, I've been working from home for the last two weeks, and I've been getting a lot of art done. So I'm going to be working on uh, an original project uh, that I've been working on for the last ten years, and hopefully have something to show for it soon. Yes, that's awesome. Um, That's for your uh, Night Face comics web series, right? Yeah. Yes, that is currently taken down, That maybe I can get back oh, out. <laughs> nice. Um, let's see, as far as, well, I have a lot of free time on my hands, um, lately. Um, uh, but I've just been, uh, I, I write some articles for RPG Fan. I do have something Zeno-related planned as well that hopefully will be coming up in April. Um, but other than that, uh, well, I don't have anything going on really besides editing these episodes. Um, okay. Um, well, uh, as far as, uh, Zeno chat goes before this episode, we should have the, um, interview with Purple Shala and Anime Vivi up by the time this episode goes up. So that was a really fun episode to record. Um, and as far as the future goes, um, we don't have much on the docket right now. Um, are we still wanting to do that uh, Zeno Cafe idea episode in April, Justin? I think we still have to brainstorm um, how we're going to mm-hmm. execute that. Okay. And I'll, I'd also like to do a Cosmos episode in preparation for the new figure that's coming out in May. Um uh, Oh, nice. Yes. Um, but that's not certain when we're going to do that exactly, but... Or if that figure's oh, even God, coming out in May. Don't say that. Don't <laughs> jinx it. <laughs> uh, but other than that, I, I know it's... I, I keep saying I want to do the Queer Theory episode, but I, I don't know the, the status on that anymore, so hopefully sometime in the future we shall do that. But, um, cool. yeah. Otherwise, um, that's pretty much it. Thank you, listeners, for listening to us. And thank you again, Eric uh, and Chris from Retrograde Amnesia, for joining us tonight. I really, really appreciate it. It's yeah, a pleasure. you guys are lovely. Yes. Listen to their podcast. Thanks for having please. us. Yeah, listen. Listen to all the podcasts. <laughs> There's millions of yeah. them. It, it's great yeah. not to talk to somebody other than Chris, yeah, we so I, I appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, our, our right. respective spouses did not allow us allow us to talk about Xenogears uh, unless we're with each other. So thank you. <laughs> oh yeah, like I'm I'm not really allowed to talk about Zeno with uh, with my spouse. Uh, he he puts up with it, um, but uh, it's garbage in, garbage out. <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually I was trying to play. I usually play in the basement, but I was trying to play upstairs the other day, and she was sitting there reading a book. And like as soon as I turned the game on, a Gazel Ministry sequence started, and so I just started taking notes and this, just the background sound was that wow, wow, like that, that noise <laughs> oh, in the background. God. She's like, I'm going upstairs. I'll see you later. 
Oh. <laughs> so here we are. But thanks, guys. No problem. Thank you. Yes, thank you. All right. Uh, have a good night, everybody. Good night. Until next time. Oh, yes, we will kill God. <laughs> oh, yes, that yes. was Eric's line. Thank you.